the bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Welcome to the PCPG podcast. I'm Russ Losco. And I'm Tiffany Durr. Normally, when we talk about safety in the field, we're talking about PPE equipment, wearing sunscreen, or staying hydrated. But today we have a guest who is going to talk about another aspect of safety, one that demands more attention. We found a video posted online detailing an issue our guest recently had while doing field work. Welcome, Josh. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, um, my name is Josh. I was born in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, after that, when I was around two years old, I moved to Reading, Pennsylvania, um, and that actually is probably where my uh, interest in geology sparked, because that's a coal mining town, and that's actually the first field trip I ever went on, was to the Reading uh, mining facility, and I am uh, currently an environmental science student, undergraduate student at Oklahoma State University. Oh. So what drew you to geology? Was it growing up in the Reading area? So I would say it's probably the start. Um, I I still actually have a piece of anthracite from when I was five years old and I went to that coal mine. Uh, can't see it on the podcast, but it's actually right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> can't, can't call yourself a geologist unless you have rocks around your room or your office. That's true. <laughs> For everything on my desk. That is uh, actually probably, when I think about it, uh, I'm 20 years old, and that's probably 15 years old in my of my own, obviously much older than that. So that's probably <laughs> the oldest thing that I own, the longest thing I've owned the longest for my whole life. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've always been interested in the outdoors. I moved to Houston when I was in elementary school, and I just, I love being outside and being outdoors, and I kind of... There was like I had a love for space and a love for animals, and that developed into also a love for just a general love for the earth and earth processes and stuff like that. And I kind of carried that with me into college. Very cool. Well, let's uh, let's get into uh, your story here that uh, you wanted to bring out. So, for everybody else's edification, Josh was in the field doing a geophysical survey along a road where they needed to maintain access to different business driveways and parking lots. One particular business had a crane that they had been told would need to be moved that day and was too heavy for the ramps. Josh was stationed in the parking lot of this business to radio when the survey line needed moved so the crane could be moved. So tell us what happened next, Josh. So essentially we were, it was I and actually another black geologist who happened to be a graduate student at Oklahoma State. Um, as well and we were both working for this company and so we're sitting at this site which is um, about half a kilometer away from the rest of the field team um, they're at the, the center of an electrical resistivity line um, where our sting box are essentially what's conducting the electrical survey it starts from the middle and they're at the middle and we are pretty much all the way at one end of it and it's about a coal over a kilometer long line so we're about half a kilometer away. So we're communicating via radio and we're sitting there and 
uh, we, like as you said, we're waiting for the crane to be ready to move so we can radio to the rest of the crew to stop the survey so that we can disconnect the wires, um, the current, and then let them through and then reconnect. Um, and as we're waiting, the people who work at this uh, facility start to enter in to their um, into the through this like gate, it's a gated area, it's like a very similar to like a like a compound. Um, there's cars, like old junk cars, um, back behind. And they start to enter in, um, and we're we're already there. And our field team leader had already talked previously to the owner of that business, which is why we knew that they might need to move to Crane that day, which is why I was there in the first place. So they we knew they knew we were going to be there. And that had been like told to them previous prior that if someone was going to be stationed there sitting waiting for them whenever they had moved to whenever they were ready to move and they had agreed to that. But as I was sitting there and they were coming in, all the people working in there were uh, staring at me pretty intently, um, and I was I was a bit confused because I'm like, okay, uh, they know that I'm supposed to be here. We they had talked to our, our field team leader that morning. They knew I was supposed to be there, so to like look, it was, they had a, look, a general look of hostility, and I was confused, and um, so was the other student as to why they were looking at us like that. But we were kind of, we were sitting in our car, and we were facing, our eyes were facing away from them. They were at our backs. So when they were coming in, they were looking at us, and, you know, as they passed us, they were behind us, and we couldn't see them. But, you know, we kept looking back, and they were staring, they were still staring at us, and still staring at us repeatedly. Um, and we we're like, I don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, we started to get worried because we've already had like more like minor incidents of like racism and like tension uh, already in, in that field work where we were. So we were kind of just sitting there um, thinking about that. And then one car comes and we notice some like the car is basically it's painted. There's paint all over it. Um, with symbols and words and all sorts of stuff uh, that signal to us that like we are not particularly welcome here and it's, it's starting to get like sort of sketchy and we're not we're starting to get kind of worried but right as that car is coming in um, the crane starts to make its way out so that car enters and the crane makes its way out right at about then so at that point we need to we're supposed to stay there until the crane is ready and tell the team to stop and then we're supposed to disconnect the line and let them through and then close but at this point we're like uh i don't know if we want to really get out of the car um and like talk to these people um because they are still as we keep looking back and forth this is going on it's pretty quick but also at the same time it's like one of those things where it's like a high stakes situation so it's like feels slow but it's also very fast it's a short amount of time so we were looking back and forth and we then decided, you know what, okay, maybe we should radio, we should talk to someone else on the field team, see if they could come over. Um, and we called over for someone else on the field team to like, hey, can you come over to us? And he came over and we were like, hey, can you, because we didn't know if the crane was ready to be moved at that exact moment, if they were just stationing it and getting it ready. They told us they would tell us if we would walk out and talk to them, but we, we didn't really want to talk to them anymore. So the other guy goes out and um, he happens to be white and he's an older man, probably in his mid 40s or so. And um, he comes out 
and he goes and talks to them. And we, we, we radioed over to him and told him that, you know, we were thinking it was odd. We didn't really like the, the sort of uh, energy or like uh, that they were emitting at us. This, the, um, we didn't really feel too comfortable. And, you know, he was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be the one who goes and talks to them and asks them if they're ready. And as he talks to them, um, number one, he, he noticed when he comes back and talks to us, he said, yeah, the guys, like, he seems, they seem to be pretty on edge. Um, and he noticed, like, they had a lot, a lot of them had a lot of tattoos. And he happened to be in the military. And he was like, I don't know, but I've seen tattoos like that. I, those remind me of tattoos of people who are, like, Nazi sympathizers, like Nazi symbolism tattoos, but you obviously the, like the only ones you could really see were ones that were on the, the man's knuckles that were dated to the Holocaust um, for years during World War II, and we didn't really understand what that meant. And then there were other ones that you could only partially see. So at that point, he was like, "Yeah, I don't want you guys to come out of the cars. Like, stay where you are." And so we can't really leave because at this point the crane is. Uh, there's only one way out and the one way out would require the crane to move and it's not moving. It's, you know, it's not, it's not reversing. It's only going to go forward. So it's only going to move forward whenever it's ready to go over and we disconnected the line. So we kind of just sat there and we just kind of waited it out um, until he and someone else had come over and disconnected the line. Um, and then the crane had passed through and then we got out of there uh, because there were still part of the a large portion of the employees were still, they weren't in the crane, they were still in the, the back area of where the, the company's area was. And they were still looking at us the whole time. Uh, as we continue to look back, they were still staring at us. They were like, okay, it's time to get out of here. And we went back to our, the main area of our, where the rest of our field team was. Scary situation. So what, what really made you first uneasy? I mean, you kind of went through a lot of things. You saw symbols and people staring. I mean, you know, I would imagine that it starts little and gets kind of big. What What were really some of the... So, I mean, as I said, like, we had had, like, a lot of... Um, we At that point, we'd only been there for about a week, and I could probably... It would probably take two hands or more to count, like, the amount of situations that had been already, like, pretty contentious with people being a, just like um, not wanting to talk like a, you know, we were working on a lot of the time in the right of way near people's homes. And uh, there was a, a couple occasions where already the owners didn't, of the home didn't want to talk to me and wanted to talk to someone else, even though I was already the one there and I was just trying to explain to them what we were doing. Um, and so we were already kind of like, we're pretty conscientious um already but we started to get really worried whenever we saw like the symbolism but i mean the, the staring is like it's it's whatever um like it, it happens you know you get like you'll say you get looked at if you're working in the field at all period um i get looked at a lot more um and i know that i know i'm already well aware that i don't particularly quote unquote look like someone who does field work or uh, to a lot of people, um, they don't think that I'm doing that sort of work. So I often get um, looked at, or if someone comes to ask a question as to what someone is doing, it's typically me, like, what am I doing? So I'm, I'm pretty used to that. And 
that was like a clue. But once the car came through with like um, all those weird symbols and phrases, then we were like, okay, this is starting to like, we're kind of in a weird situation now and we don't know what to do because we, we couldn't exactly leave because number one, the crane was there. Number two, we didn't want to leave our equipment. Um, it's expensive. It's uh, like a, it's fiber optic cables. We didn't want to just let them get run over or taken. Um, and, you know, as part of our job as employees is to, you know, protect the equipment. Um, obviously first to protect ourselves, but we, we hadn't really discussed what to do in that sort of situation. So we didn't know how to react. And, and to clarify, so you're a student currently, right? Um, but this was a, a job working for a private company or yeah. were you doing this work as a student for, for the university? It. Um, well, essentially the, uh, the CTO of the company also happens to be a professor at my university. And so I had already, I worked with him doing research and, um, me and the other black student who is his graduate student um, came out to work with the company that he uh, is the the CTO of. We got uh, hired by someone else um, in the company to come work out in the field for this amount of, for this project. Um, and so we are students, but we're not working as students in that position. We were field technicians. Gotcha. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the, the white power symbols that you noticed? Give us some examples. Yeah. So um, for one on the, so this is, this is like, for us, it, it, it was, um, you know, cause it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you don't want to assume that sort of thing. Um, but it was like a combination of things. Like uh, for one, there was the symbol there's, which is very contested as to whether it's a white power symbol or not. But like the OK symbol, what was formerly the OK symbol, was like pretty big on the back windshield of their car. Um, but then also painted, like I said, that was painted in like white paint on the back of their car. And then on one of the back mirrors, it said, help me. On another one, it said, there's no escape. Um, I can't remember exactly the things that were on them, but it were like phrases like, like that, uh, made it seem as though somebody had been like, was like being held hostage inside of the car. If you understand what I mean? Like someone was, as if someone was writing hostage messages trying to get you to help them on, and then someone was responding, but it was all on the same car. It was really provocative, like to see, you know, help me with exclamation points written on a car. And then like, there's no escape written on a car. And then like, oh, another one was like, gotcha. Um, and then with like, um, with like a, a person's face, but with like a, um, like a X's over the eyes. Um, and so we're like, I don't know what on earth is going on here, but this does not feel particularly, uh, like it, it's, it's a very provocative thing to have all over your car. So then in combination with the already being stared at like intensely and the, okay symbol at that point we were like we don't know what's going on here and we can't really like i don't want to find out like they, mm -hmm. they those people um it's like a 
they knew we were supposed to be there. So the sort of, uh, so I, the fact that they were looking at us with like very uh, peering gazes was, was already like a off sign to us because, you know, it's, it's, it's expected if people don't really know what you're doing for them to look at you. But they they specifically knew we were going to be there. Um, we're working on this, like so we're working on this road, and this road does not have much pedestrian traffic, but it has these businesses. And our field team leader had reached out, you know, in advance, well in advance, at least a week in advance, you know, as we're planning out, we're doing these surveys all across this the city, and you know, as you know, there's there's a crew that's staking out the area. Um, you know, running GPS on exactly where we're going to be um, running the lines. And they, so they're going out in advance and they're notifying, okay, we're in front of X number of businesses with this number of driveways. Um, and, you know, they're reaching out to all the businesses like, hey, just want to let you know, we're being contracted to do this work here. We'll be ramping your driveway. Can we close off one of your driveways and leave one open, you know, this, to save ramps, that sort of thing, that sort of dialogue is happening back and forth between our company and all of the companies along the road and that particular company you know they had noted that they had that crane and that was over the weight limit of our the safety weight limit of our ranch and essentially what we what we do is the ramps um they're just like any any construction ramps they open up um and they have these these lanes in them essentially what are like lanes and we can put our cable down inside of the lane and then close it and then when people are driving and they're not driving over the cable and that's how we generally ramp the thing so that you know then we don't have to people can move in and out freely and we don't have to stop traffic and things like that because they know that upsets people um but they said that they might move the crane we figured out it was gonna so there's a dialogue happening back and forth between our field team leader and their company that oh it's not gonna fit um and, he, and we're like, okay, yeah, we can't, obviously we're not going to stop you from doing your work. So we can pause the survey. Um, but the survey is running electricity and it's uh, pretty high voltage. You know, you don't, you don't want to be, so essentially you can't just un, the, there's a connections in the line about, there's like electrodes and um, every certain number of electrodes, say eight or 12, there's a connecting point where you can disconnect the line and split it apart. Um, and that's how you lay the line down and that's how you pick it back up. So we were, so we told them whenever you're ready, we'll pause the line. Um, and then someone, someone on the team will disconnect the line, um, move it outside of your driveway, pick up the ramps and let you go out so that you can go. And then we'll put it all back and we'll just start the line again. So they said they only needed to get out once. Our, our uh, surveys only run they were long once they were running about three hours long, but they said, you know, once they had been, once they got out for the day in the morning, that they wouldn't be back until much later. So, you know, we would be long gone by then. So we, they knew we were coming and the fact that they were looking at us so oddly when we, they knew we were, we knew that they knew we were supposed to be there was already a concern to us. And then when you added the symbols on, we were like on pretty high alert. Because we were like, what is what is the other explanation for why they're appearing so hostile? Yeah. 
And you said, so you're the team leader came over after you called him on the radio? Um, not at that moment. Um, at that moment, we radioed and we got someone else on the team to come over um, and talk to them. After we had gotten out, we went to the team leader. And uh, later that evening, we had a discussion about, like, you know, what to do in that sort of situation. And, and so what was his reaction to, to the story, to, to your version, you know, when, when you told him what happened, what you observed? Yeah, I mean, they were they were shocked. Um, and you know, we, we had, we had like, cause, um, often the onus is on as, as like minority students, like there's things that happen and like, you don't want to appear like a, a trouble or like, you know, like you're making excuses all the time. I personally don't. So, you know, there's, it's often you know, you don't talk about, especially if it's not a big deal, you don't talk about it, you don't bring anything up or it's like a joke. Um, and so, you know, we, we probably made a couple jokes here and there as at the week prior that, you know, people were being a little off and shady with us. But, um, you know, when that, when that whole event was going on, it got really tense and, and, you know, we were raiding over to them and, you know, when we got over to them, they were already worried. Like they were like, what's going on? Like, are you guys okay? And especially when, um, the other individual who had come over to help us had like agreed that he did not feel like it was comfortable for us to be going out in that situation. He wasn't sure what was going on and he didn't like, like he didn't feel comfortable about it either. Um, at that point, everyone was kind of like quite, quite freaked out as to um, what their intention was and what they were trying to like, why, why they were acting so hostile towards us. Yeah. So it sounds like there was at least a good open dialogue after the incident. Was there any discussions ahead of time or any kind of safety training that you guys went through? So um, I don't think there were no discussions about there or there wasn't any safety training. Um, you know, we, there was like we we were aware we were like, yeah, you know, we might run into some trouble in this area, there was like a little bit of, of uh, knowledge. Our, the professor who had hired us to the company, he kind of knew and he kind of gave us a warning in advance, like, you know, stuff might happen. Obviously didn't know anything would be to this degree, just more like the, stuff, the kind of stuff that happens routinely more is, is something <laughs> where you're like actually genuinely really worried about, um, you know, safety and things of that nature, and instead of just, you know, people being rude or something along those lines. Um, and there's that, they, they had, he had worked in that area prior, um, actually with a, another, another lady who's actually a professor now, Dr. Andrada Ali, um, and she had done a lot of her PhD thesis in that area and had experienced a lot of stuff similar. So she knew that, but I, I hadn't talked, spoken to her about this until after the case, but they had a, a, a sort of knowledge that there it wasn't safe, but we didn't have any discussions or training beforehand. And I think as Russ said in his intro, you know, the, the, especially I, I'm in the environmental field and a lot of what we do is, you know, you have to start every day with a safety meeting, but it's always about 
wear your gloves and your safety glasses and your high-vis vest. But I think we don't think about the social aspects of it. Um, so what's a, what's a message from your experiences? Because it sounds like this is one of multiple. Um, how would you relay a, a, a safety message around this type of social situation? Yeah. Um, like you said, like that, that project every day would, you know, before we got onto the site, it's an environmental industry job, right? Working and doing these, running these surveys, everyone's talking about wearing your vest, wearing your gloves, wearing, making sure you have your high vis on, you know, making sure people know where you are, those sorts of things. But um, this social component is just as real, if not more real for, because, because of the fact that, um, students and people who can face these problems are uh, generally not in leadership positions and generally a minority in, in field teams. So there's less likely for people to be concerned or speak about these things. Whereas, you know, if somebody sees somebody without their hard hat on, someone's going to say something. Whereas, and you know, it's going to be spoken about often and often. Whereas these situations, people can be placed in, in situations where it's not very safe. Um, actually, I have been writing an article for EOS uh, that is, will be coming out fairly soon um, in the next edition that it talks about these sorts of safety issues and like how to prepare teams, field teams uh, for that. And essentially the, the crux of what needs to be done is that really there, I believe that there should be all like universities and institutions as a whole that, where that are doing these sorts of, um, that are doing in outdoor field work need to have their field leaders, field team leaders need to have, uh, need to do social and racial based risk assessment prior to going out into the field, like knowing the possible concerns for students and for people um, on the team, knowing in advance and thinking about could this place be hostile to this this person because of who they are and how they look or what they uh, represent. Um, and just knowing that in advance and starting a dialogue with the students or with the, with the, the team before getting out to the field um, and, you know, having an open back and forth with the, you know, about how you're going to keep safe, what this, what the individual is safe and comfortable with dealing with. Like, you know, everyone has their own level of what they're fine with dealing with of like hostility from people as a general, like, you know, some people can take people yelling at them and others can't. And, um, you know, there should be an open dialogue about that sort of thing before you get to the field because then it makes the individuals feel more open to talk about it when you're there, when it's occurring, um, and not feel like they're making a big deal about something when it is a big deal and, you know, their concerns should be heard, especially for their safety. And, you, just, you know, starting that culture before you get out into the field and, and also a culture of, like, you know, looking out for each other and um, being, you know, having uh, in advance, having field team leaders go out and talk to all like possible constituents that you might be interacting with, letting them know the diversity of people in your uh, field team. Uh, so they don't think people aren't a part of the team and things like that. Um, you know, just let, letting it be known that, that um, 
if anything happens, having a field team leader that's accountable and responsible to um, if if this if there's a sort of like relationship between the team and whoever is doing these sorts of activities to let them know that like that's not acceptable that we won't be continuing working with you we're, we're not we don't accept that we don't accept you like disrespecting or you know being aggressive towards um, people on our team as a general just you know it's just the same way that there's often in environmental industry people talk about like a, a culture of safety like you know they, it's really important you know even though sometimes it feels like it's overkill like you you get onto the job and you're like, yeah, we know we're supposed to do this. We know we're supposed to wear our boots and wear our glasses, but there should be a culture of safety in all aspects, you know, protecting. If, if it's not in the same, it's the same sort of mindset that, that if it's not preached and talked about frequently and like drilled into people's minds, then people might not know how to respond quickly, when to respond, um, or might be caught off guard when something happens to someone. Um, and that's, you know, obviously what you're trying to avoid, not only, not just for their safety, but also for, you know, their enjoyment of the work and their willingness to be out there. Um, Cause you know, stuff like that, like for me, I, I love being outside and I love doing field work and, you know, I don't really think anything could stop me. Um, but, you know, I won't pretend like that was an enjoyable day for me or the next, like that, that, day that night the next day the next few days that was what was on my mind like and i it was upsetting and you know that that's the sort of thing that makes people uh from other backgrounds not want to come into these fields it's it's not that um we don't enjoy this sort of work or there's no one who enjoys this sort of work obviously that's not true it's just often it feels like you know there, there's there's other things that you have to deal with and there's no one having your back or protecting you. And that is, can be demoralizing on top of, you know, also having to do the work, also having to go to school, that sort of thing. Yeah, and you kind of touched on something. I, I, I wrote down a quote from your original video and you said, this is the kind of thing that pushes black students out of the geosciences. And, you know, one of PCPG's missions is to help attract students to this field because we're geologists, we, we think it's a, an amazing field to be in. Do, do you think you putting your story out there will help other people or students of color realize like, yeah, this is something I can do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think so. Um, I think I got a lot of response, which I mean, I was, that was what I hoped and wanted to get out of it was just to make one alert people and try to start a dialogue of promoting, you know, the sort of safety and then two, making students feel as though, you know, they should, they should be allowed to talk about these things or they should, and they should hold people accountable for protecting them. And, you know, when they're out there and I, I couldn't count the number of students and, you know, faculty, um, just people of color in general who work outdoors, who like, reached out to me and were like, wow, yeah, I, you know, this happened to me and people, and there's a lot of sad stories of people being like, yeah, after that, I didn't really want to work out in the field anymore. Now my work is only in the lab. Um, yeah, I don't feel, I stopped feeling comfortable being in this sort of area. Um, and I, cause I didn't know who to talk to about it on the team. So I was just kind of silent about it. And you know, that's, it's, it's, it's sad because 
obviously like this this sort of work is it's awesome it's really fun and it, there's you know a lot of wonderful science and scientific merit to it and human and environmental merit and you want everyone involved who wants to be involved in it not that people are pushed out just because they are the way that they are really nice message actually <laughs> yes okay um one last question. Uh, so what are your plans after school? Um, so after this year when I graduate, um, I will hopefully be starting a PhD program um, in geobiology, working on uh, extreme environment geomicrobiology and trying to look at dynamics of, between geochemical variations and biological communities looking at that sort of stuff in extreme environments as for analogs for life on other planets and also understanding like the origins of life on Earth. So you'll find the answers and then let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Josh, for having the courage to share your experience and allowing us to explore it with you. Thanks also to Tiffany Dewar and a special thanks to Cheyenne DeLawrence for our intro. And thank you all for listening.